السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله رب العالمين الصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم أما بعد رب شرح لي صدري ويسل لي أمري وحل لقدة من لساني أفقه قولي اللهم إنا نسألك علما نافعا ونعوذ بك من علم لا ينفع وبعد We begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sending salawat upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the numerous favors that he has given us. And we take, take the moment to reflect on the ingratitude that we have. That there is no way we can continue to live except through gratitude. And every moment that went by where we didn't show Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or express or feel, Ya Allah, thank you for your blessings. Then we don't realize how privileged and blessed we are. If it's not weighing heavy on our head, especially in these days, the privileges and blessings that Allah has given us, then we need to reflect again on ourselves. So we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we accept that we are very much blessed, blessed more than we deserve. And we accept that whatever trials that we have are nothing in comparison to His blessings. And we accept that we, even then we complain, Ya Rabbil Alameen, we still turn to you and we ask for forgiveness for doing that. We ask for forgiveness for forgetting your blessings and for forgetting the privileges that we have and for not showing shukr to you as we you deserve shukr from us and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send his highest blessings and favor and elevation and honor to the nabi our habib rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam Because he went through so much just for Iman to reach us, for the reality, the haq to come to us. The reality of what is life worth living for. It's not this dunya. It's not whatever dreams and aspirations you and I put together while we're in school. It's not for the family. Life is only worth living if it's only for Allah. Life is only worth living if it's for Allah. And if it's for any other than Allah, it's not worth it. It's not, it's not a worthy life at all. My brothers and sisters, last week in the second jama'ah we spoke and we, one of the things we reflected on is the tragedy that the ummah, we as an ummah, the tragedy that has hit us is that we believe we are weak. It's not that we're weak. We aren't. The tragedy is that we believe that we are weak. Because if we were truly weak, then no one else would fear us. No one else would have any concern. What are the Muslims doing? Every day, every night, their eyes are on us. As if we're some type of threat. What threat do we have? What threat do we have? We don't have anything. 
All we have is Iman. All we have is Iman. That's all we have, my brothers and sisters. But that is what they don't have. And that is what they fear. You can say as much as you want, we're peaceful, we come with no arms, we, we mean no harm, all of that. But the power of Iman, when the Ummah comes together as a unit, without raising a finger, Makkah surrendered. Without blood being shed, Makkah surrendered. This is what they're afraid of. We as an Ummah, if we unify our voice, if we unify our voice, without raising a finger, we can change the world. But the problem is, we allowed ourselves to believe we, we don't have that potential. The first step in doing anything is to have knowledge. To be equipped with the context. If you didn't already know, we're talking about what is going on in the world. What is happening to our brothers and sisters in Philistine, in Gaza? What is our role in all of this? So last week we spoke about our potential. This week is to equip ourselves, not with guns, not with violence, not with arms, with education, with knowledge, with a voice. This is what Rasulullah did in Mecca. He spoke out loudly, La ilaha illallah. These idols are false. Your oppression is wrong. The women folk, the children, the downtrodden, they deserve our support. Your money is not yours. Your power is not yours. All of this came from the true Almighty. And they didn't like when he spoke. This is what we have to do today. We have to speak, stand our ground, and control ourselves from violence. 13 years Rasulullah the Sahaba, they knew they are not allowed to move a hand because they didn't have any jurisdiction. And that is the same today. Violence is not the way. Violence is not the answer. It's being able to control your hands and use the tongue that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with. So first and foremost, my brothers and sisters, if you feel pain, if it's heavy on your heart what is happening to our brothers and sisters in Gaza, then know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is quoted to have said, مَثَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ فِي تَوَادِّهِمْ وَتَرَاحُمِهِمْ وَتَعَاطُفِهِمْ مَثَلُ الْجَسَدِ إِذَا اشْتَكَى مِنْهُ عُضْوٌ تَدَاعَى لَهُ سَائِرُ الْجَسَدِ بِالسَّهَرِ وَالْحُمَّةِ That the body of the believers in their mutual love, compassion and sympathy, it's as if they're one body. So when one portion of the body hurts, the whole body will respond with sleeplessness and with fever. This is how the ummah responds. And if you feel that way, then you, inshallah, you and I, we are part of the ummah. 
But if nothing is shaking you and all you want to do is block it out and indulge yourself in entertainment and indulge yourself in your whims and desires and indulge yourself in everything other than what is happening today, then maybe you're trying to push away the ummah from yourself. And may Allah forgive us. As unfair as the world is, let us talk about the context. 1948, there was a partition plan. And during that moment in history, Gaza was not part of what Israel was supposed to get. Do we even agree to the partition plan? No. But let bygones be bygones. Gaza was not part of it. 55% was given to Israelis, 45% was given to Palestinians. Immediately in that very moment, their aggression began. As if it didn't begin before. 55 wasn't enough, they started going even further. And they pushed nearly a quarter million or more into what we today call the Gaza Strip, which at that time was controlled by Egypt. Now some time passes in 1967, Israel launches a second aggression offensive. And it acquires not just the Gaza Strip, it goes far beyond into the Sinai Peninsula. It acquires all of that, it acquires West Bank, it acquires Jerusalem, which the UN said should be a neutral land. And it acquires all of this. And that is when the occupation begins. Because they receded from the Sinai Peninsula. And they showed that, oh, we're doing you a favor. When you think about what is happening to our brothers and sisters today, it's not from October 7th. It's decades before that. Nineteen sixty-seven, a quarter million refugees. Seventies and eighties, almost a million people, seven hundred fifty thousand people or more in that same Gaza Strip, already triple the population. Today, how much are we talking about? Two point two million people. More than eight times the population. They've been confined within that space. The same narrow space. Well, do they get to live as they wish in this narrow space? Since 1967, jobs were restricted. Education was restricted. Movement was restricted. Any type of peaceful protest any type of political activity to organize themselves and have independence, all of it restricted and banned. They put in place rules for fishing. They're living right outside the ocean. It's right there in their backyard. Not allowed to go there without permits. They're sitting on land which is ripe for farming. Not allowed to farm without permits. They have some space where they can build. At least then we can allow this growing population to have a roof over their heads. Not allowed to build without permits. Imam Saab, that's normal. Every nation state has this system of permits. That's a good thing. That's a good thing when you apply it equally and fairly. Without using technicalities to prevent people from building. 
to prevent people from fishing, to prevent people from farming, from having food to eat. And the audacity on top of that, as the Palestinian brothers and sisters, they're, they're, they're confined in this space without anywhere to go. And permits are, are put up as restrictions rather than as pathways for, for earning a living. They, they're forced to see Israelis from Tel Aviv so far away come and they're fishing right on the beach. They're seeing outsiders come and build land, property on their land. How would that make you feel? No permits for building, no permits for fishing, no permits for farming, no permits for even replacing the sewage system. Here's another thing that they do. Think about this scenario. You've tried again and again, you applied for your permit. Every time you're rejected for some minor details or some minor technicality that they might have just you know, opened up in the last two, three days. And your family is growing and growing and you have no choice. You have to build. It's not 250,000 people anymore. We're talking about 750,000. Triple the population. So you build and you're like, I don't care. I need to have a roof over my family. And because the aggressors like to instigate things. And there's this, obviously, how, how are people going to live in that condition? So a child comes and he tosses a rock at the tank. Or in that direction, he says something. And so now the whole gang, they come and they say, Oh, your building doesn't have a permit. We're going to break this building down. And the story that you get to hear is, they built without permits, so their building comes down. That's all you get to hear. That's the media for you. The water is controlled by Israel. The electricity is controlled by Israel. Even now, internet is controlled by Israel. In the 70s, a fence wall was put up. To go from Gaza to West Bank, if you want to visit family, even for that you need permits. 1967 was when all of this happened. And by the 70s, they already put up walls, fences. So no longer can you even eat, sleep, or drink. You can't even go see your family. And passports, first of all, Gaza isn't even part of Israel. So you're born, you don't get a passport. If you want to organize your own government system to have passports given to you, that's not going to be allowed either. So they're stateless, forcibly dependent, and stripped of all livelihood. Not since October 7th, since 1967. 1987, the first Intifada. What is Intifada? If you go to a protest, you might hear this. It was the first, it was a mass protest that began in Gaza and West Bank. And Israel responded with what they know best. With aggression. With ten times or even hundred times worth, worse. 
In the 70s and 80s, brutal laws were endorsed. If a family member resisted, one person, the entire family gets the brute end of the force. By the 80s, late 80s and 90s, even the Supreme, Israeli Supreme Court sanctioned the breaking of bones of children who threw rocks at Israeli security and police. And this was their only way to show resistance against this oppression. Breaking the bones of children was sanctioned and made legal. Let that settle in your mind for a moment. So when you have a condition like this, obviously the anger boils. No one's hearing your calls. The media has blocked them out. We didn't have social media and internet back then the way we do today. So it was very easy for the media to manipulate and for us to not hear anything. And when any news reaches us, our first reaction is to say, that's such a difficult situation, I don't want to hear anymore. So even if something did reach, people weren't trying to hear it. You don't believe me what's happening today? Half of you probably wish, Imam, stop talking. I've seen enough of this on the news. I've seen enough while scrolling to my, through my TikTok and Instagram. Well, in a situation like that, the anger rises, the, the aggression rises, and the resistance also rises. And so any form of resistance that boiled over now, by the, late two, by the early 2000s, a large wall is being built. This is the start of what you might have heard in recent days, the open-air prison. This wall is not some 10-feet wall. It's not even 20 feet. 50 feet tall. 50 feet tall. Majority of its funding, do you know where it came? Our tax dollars. We Muslim families, we came to America for a better life. At what cost? This is such an obvious oppression. Jimmy Carter has called it an apartheid. Nelson Mandela, Malcolm X, many others have seen it for what it is. Nelson Mandela's own grandson, grandson has commented that in some ways, what is in Palestine is worse than what was in South Africa. In South Africa, at least, they let us live to a degree. In Palestine, they don't want them there at all. That is why when people talk about a two-state solution, they don't want them to have their own government. You want to make it one state? Palestinian population is more than Israeli. So obviously this is going to backfire on them. They don't want a one-state solution. Maybe once they've killed off enough Palestinian children, and there's no more generations to come, okay, then maybe we can talk about a one-state solution. 
Maybe once we've kicked out enough people to the Sinai Peninsula and their population has reduced, maybe then we can talk about a one-state solution. The only way forward that they've left for themselves, conveniently. And think about this as an American. If you think about our history, why did we revolt against the British? They didn't prevent us from farming and owning land. They didn't prevent us from uh, fishing in the Atlantic Ocean. They gave us all the free reign that we wanted. We had arms, we had everything. It was because our taxes were increased by a few pennies. Our taxes were increased by a few pennies. And then the bloodshed began. When are Palestinians going to be given the freedoms that they deserve? When do they have a right to defend themselves? When do they have a right to live a dignified life? You are getting questioned in the sphere that you are in, on the public scene, at your workplace, with your friend circle. Do you condemn Hamas? Does Israel have a right to defend itself? And your lips, they become zipped. (coughs) Arm yourself with knowledge and show them how silly that question is. Let's get past all the argument in the bickering. I condemn whatever you want me to condemn. Now can we talk about the facts? But if you don't have the information, if you don't have the knowledge, then you will zip your mouth exactly as they want you to do. You will remain quiet and you will allow them to set the tone to show that they are the superpowers and you and I will always just be a colored person. We will always just be an immigrant. So we don't arm ourselves with violence. We arm ourselves with the truth. Even when that truth goes against us. On an individual level, my brothers and sisters, you need to, we need to, Make dua, unut nazila. Get up and join the Fajr Jama'ah around in your local masjid. If you can't, then pray at home and learn the unut nazila. And include it in your salah. In the second rakah, when you get up from ruku, that's when you'll say the unut nazila. Send whatever you can in terms of aid, humanitarian aid, to all those organizations that are reliable. Even if they're stuck waiting outside, once that door is opened, there are people that will need it immediately. You don't want to send your aid after the door has opened because who knows when they'll shut it right back. Stay away from sins. Make sure right now is the last thing you want is to show Allah that you're careless. Your good deeds are good, but your abstaining from sin is even more powerful. And you know which one's harder to do. That's why it's more meaningful. 
If you're a chain smoker, quit right now. If you're an abuser at home, hold your tongue and hold your hand. If you're a backbiter on the phone, drop those calls. Now is not the time. Educate yourself about this situation. All that time you would have spent sinning, use it for educating yourself. And I will give resources to follow and to look at. Once you've done this, some self-reflecting and development. Because my brothers and sisters, this is not just a test for our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Whether you like it or not, this is also a test for us. You ignoring it is failing that test. You doing what you can within your parameters, as much as it sucks that we can't do more, don't you dare even say, I'm going to do less. Do what you can and stick to it. Don't excuse yourself by saying, how is this going to help? Since when did we have to tawakkal on ourselves? Don't we have to tawakkal on Allah? So don't skip out on the rallies because what is my rallying going to do? If that's your reason for skipping out, your iman is in question. Nobody put their iman on the rally itself. Just as your dua, how is it physically going to help someone? If that was your reason for saying, I'm not going to make dua, then your iman is in question. We do the amal that was given to us by Allah, and then we leave the rest to Allah. Now is not the time to make excuses. And that's why the final thing that I say after you do all of this, you've rectified yourself with staying away from sins, by including qunut nazila in your daily life, by educating yourself about what's going on. And then you've put forward something in charity, then go on to educate others as well. As a unified group, as a Muslim ummah, when we open and we speak the truth and we stay within limits, without exaggerating, without manipulating, you will see how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's rahmah descends and His grand nusra will descend. But until then, brothers and sisters, the onus is on us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for acceptance. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help all those that are being oppressed, especially our brothers and sisters in Gaza and Philistine. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to elevate them and honor them in this life and the next. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make them a shining light in the hereafter that we can proudly say we are behind you. They are our leaders and we are their followers. Ya Allah, accept everyone that you have taken as a shaheed. Ya Allah, those who are living, heal the scars that they have. Ya Allah, if even a little bit of the anxiety that we feel from just listening will remove some of their pain, Ya Allah, increase our anxiety. But Ya Allah, you're the most merciful, so we ask you to remove all of our anxieties and pains. Ya Rabbal Alameen, Ya Arhamar Rahimeen, forgive us and give us the ability to learn how to also take care of ourselves in these trying times. Ya Rabbal Alameen, we can't give that which we don't have. So Ya Allah, allow us to learn how to build rahmat within ourselves. 
Ya Allah, allow us to learn how to build mercy within ourselves. Ya Allah, allow us to learn how to build compassion within ourselves. Ya Allah, and allow us to spread that mercy and compassion, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya Dhal Jalali Wal Ikram, Ya Rahman, Ya Wadud. Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has ta- taught us the greatest weapon that the believers have is dua. Ya Allah, we are making this dua and we're asking for your acceptance and we're asking you to send it over to those that are being oppressed. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya rahman rahim. Assalamu alaikum.